Welcome to the Bitcoin Breakout, a production of the Survival Podcast. I'm your host, Jack Spierko. Remember, you can always find all our episodes at thebitcoinbreakout.com. You can also find all episodes of the Survival Podcast at tspc.co. If you want full personal sovereignty, Bitcoin is only one step. On the Survival Podcast, we discuss all aspects of self-sufficiency, self-reliance, independence, and personal liberty. Now strap in and get ready for another episode of the Bitcoin Breakout, where we discuss how Bitcoin and the Lightning Network will literally change everything. Fix the money, fix the world. And we are live. Welcome, folks, to, well, depending on how you're tracking it, episode 3108 of the Survival Podcast or measly episode three of the Bitcoin Breakout. Of course, the Bitcoin Breakout is a production of the Survival Podcast that by the end of this month will be part of the Survival Podcast plus its own standalone podcast at the same time. We may have a little bit of uh, branding bipolarism uh, as we make that transition, but I think soon enough everything will make sense. First, I just want to say I am happy to be back with you guys today. I am also happy that I'm Well, I'm podcasting, and it's 12.30 p.m. Monday morning. And when I woke up this morning, I wasn't sure that I would be podcasting by 12.30. I thought it might be more like 2.30 in the afternoon. I was able to get all of this stuff put together, and I hope it's going to be a good show for you guys today. A little bit about what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, if you read the title, it's pretty obvious. Buying, uh, holding, Spending, securing Bitcoin, the basics, the very basics of it. Now, I think there's going to be a lot of people today that are going to be like, well, pretty much know all this stuff. Okay, that's fine. I also, this is like covering the stuff that I get asked over and 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 over again. So uh, clearly there's a need for it. I'm going to cover a bunch today. I'm going to give you my thoughts on four different places you can buy Bitcoin. And I'm going to tell you why, as long as you understand the rules of the platform, I don't really care. It doesn't really matter to me because if you don't hold on a platform, as long as you can buy and move off the platform, it doesn't matter. Uh, Bitcoin is Bitcoin from that point forward. Uh, we're going to talk about how people hold or hodl, even give you a little bit of background on where hodl came from. Uh, on exchanges, software wallets, hardware wallets, uh, multi-sig and some advanced stuff we'll at least pay homage to, but we won't dig into today. We'll keep it really, really easy. Uh, I will talk about the method that I recommend for your long-term holdings, um, being actually the Exodus wallet along with the Trezor hardware wallet. I'll even talk about the difference between the Model T and the Model 1. One costs a lot more, but there's a reason for it, and I'll give you the basics of that. We'll talk about seed phrase backups and what those are. And I'll even tell you a really cool way, uh, that you guys can, uh, that you guys can make a metallic cold storage backup, uh, of your stuff. In fact, I'm going to live here in the middle of this. I'm about to text my wife. If the dad gone texting app will come up, I'm going to ask her to bring me a little doodad that goes along with that because in my rush to get started on time, Uh, I did miss one thing. So give me just a second here. Anyway, um, 
I'll show you a little doodad that uh, I used my 3D printer to make. I'll give you a resource where you can make these uh, metallic backups for yourself. We'll talk about seed phrases and my, why you might want to care. Uh, I always say get your Bitcoin off the exchange. And people are like, I don't know how, I'm afraid, what have you. Well, I'm also going to show you exactly how to get your Bitcoin off of exchanges um, and do that in two different platforms, namely Coinbase and Strike with screen capture or um, what do you call them, stills of uh, uh, slides, basically, that show you how to do that. Screen captures, that's what I wanted to say of those. Sorry, I'm a little bit off timing with a first day back. And uh, so the cool thing about that is I'm also going to talk about how to spend Bitcoin without spending Bitcoin. Now, some of you guys have been listening to me for a long time, and you've heard me right before I went away on vacation for 10 days. Um, <clears throat> talk about how do you strike to do that so it'll make sense to you. We'll talk about a couple ways to do that, but how strike is a really cool way to do just that. So imagine being able to spend Bitcoin without spending your Bitcoin. Yep, there's a way to do that. And then we'll talk about why right now, when I was on vacation and this whole crypto crash, which the only thing I care about is the Bitcoin uh, correction in price, drop in price, call it what you want to, the bear market, like I got excited. Like I was like, man, of all times to be on vacation. I mean, don't get me wrong. I enjoyed my vacation. I enjoyed being uh, with my wife and away from everything. But when this was all going into like catastrophic falling of price, I was like, man, I'm just starting this new Bitcoin thing. I wish I was at home right now because now is like one of the greatest times ever. And someone on Facebook in the live stream is saying, I need to understand Bitcoin first. That's why this is the fundamentals series. And this is episode three. And the first one is understanding money. And the second one is understanding Bitcoin. All right. Uh, so today we're going to talk about actually buying, selling, and holding Bitcoin. So I want to start off with, and hopefully I have the right slides up here, where you can buy Bitcoin from. And I'm going to give you my thoughts on a few different places, the first being Coinbase. Now, Coinbase gets a lot of people that love it and a lot of people that hate it, and I think both are justified. I mean, both are justified, and that's that's fine. But again, remember, I don't care where you buy your Bitcoin as long as you understand the rules of the platform. And what I want to start off with is I get constantly, I hear from people, I want to buy Bitcoin with no KYC. For those who don't know what that means, it means know your customer. In other words, I want to be able to buy Bitcoin, but I don't want to give them my ID, uh, tell them exactly who I am, show them my driver's license, maybe link to a bank account or a credit card or something. I don't want to do any of that. Okay, so you're not going to buy Bitcoin without paying a ridiculous fee to do so and getting into some hairy situations without doing KYC if you want to buy Bitcoin for fiat dollars, euros, whatever, okay? You're not going to do it. And I'm not going to go deep into ways around that today. I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to simply um, teach you how to buy Bitcoin with fiat dollars today. That's what I'm trying to get done today. If you really want Bitcoin or any crypto or you want Bitcoin and you're willing to take any crypto and turn it into Bitcoin and you don't want to do no KYC, we'll even talk about a platform that works for that today. And the best way to do it, honestly, is to earn it. In other words, to do something that people will pay for and accept Bitcoin as payment. If you want to buy Bitcoin for fiat dollars, you are going to KYC, which means anybody 
during this live stream or as a result of this podcast that sends me an email that says, how do I buy Bitcoin without giving them my identity? In any way you phrase it, I'm going to hit delete or I'm going to ignore it if it's in the live stream. I'm not going to do this anymore. I've, and I've sound, I know I sound a little bit irritated with it, but I've been doing this for podcasting 14 years, but Bitcoin for over 10. And I've answered this over and over. You're not going to do it, and I'm not going to worry about how. So all of these, one of the rules is you're going to KYC. The bigger rules is that there's certain rules in how you can get your fiat dollars onto the platform and how much you can take off at any given time and how long you have to wait to be able to do it. This is where Coinbase is not the same for everybody. When you first set up your Coinbase account, things will take a little bit longer and you may have limits that are different than they might be for me because I've been there a long time. You sort of earn trust on the platform. Here's what I love about Coinbase. If you can use PayPal, you can use Coinbase. If you have a PayPal account and you use it to you know, deposit money, receive money, send money, withdraw money, and you do all that right now, and you tell me that, and you say, but I have Coinbase and I can't figure it out, I'm going to say that you're afraid to just use the damn thing because it's almost it almost looks the same other than there's a bunch of different currencies you can buy other than Bitcoin, and we're only talking about Bitcoin today. So I'm going to go through how to withdraw from Coinbase, but it's super easy. Um, the fees are a little high, but they're irrelevant to the long-term strategy of stacking Satoshis, i.e. Bitcoin, over the long haul. You're not going to remember. You're not going to care that you paid a dollar more when you did a $100 buy 10 years ago, 10 years from now. It's not going to matter. Um, so the ease of use trades off a little bit on the on the fees, and I'm not talking about withdrawal or, or, or transaction fees. Your transaction fees are pretty standard across the board. What we're talking about is when you buy, there's a fee, and when you withdraw, they might charge a withdrawal fee. And Coinbase will be a little bit high. Um, the bad the bad. Their customer service sucks. I would say this about almost every exchange, especially the easy to use ones that work the best. Um, but yeah, and you're going to have to, you're going to have to KYC. The really great part about Coinbase though, is you can use credit cards, debit cards, and you can use PayPal to buy Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies on PayPal. And this is something where people get really confused and you blame Coinbase or whatever platform for your bank's issues. So I had somebody recently that I met at the event that I was away to speak at and they were on and on about Coinbase being so terrible and horrible and awful. And what it turned out is when they tried to add their bank account as a funding mechanism for Coinbase, the bank said, no, I'm sorry. You don't get to blame Coinbase for that. Coinbase said, we will allow your bank to let you wire money in or transfer money through ACH or whatever it was that person was trying to do. And the bank said, no. And they said, but I even tried my credit card. I said, well, that was odd. And it turned out their credit card wasn't a credit card. It was a, a, a Visa or a MasterCard debit card attached to the same account to which the bank said no. This can happen, and it can also pop up on other exchanges and may not be clear why they're telling you no. So it's just something to be aware of. So if you try to add a funding mechanism to any exchange and it doesn't work, if you have a, if they have another option, try that one. Because some banks still say, we don't want our money to touch Bitcoin in any way, shape, or form. 
So that's not a Coinbase issue. But overall, it works great. It just has, well, again, it has some issues with, like, their customer service basically doesn't exist. And, and, and that really sucks. Next up, I have for you CoinX, C-O-I-N-E-X. By the way, all of these platforms I have affiliate links to, if you're going to sign up for them, uh, the audio version of this podcast will go up on my, my website about one hour after the live stream ends. Using my links would be really appreciated. It doesn't make me a lot of money, but it makes me a little bit of money, and it, it doesn't cost you anything. With Coinbase, you'll actually get some free Bitcoin uh, if you use my link as well. So CoinX is a no-KYC exchange, and that's always how I've marketed it. Now, here's the thing about that. What did I already say? CoinX is no KYC, but if you want to buy Bitcoin or any cryptocurrency for fiat, you're going to do KYC. So when I say that, sometimes people get really upset and say, you said it was no KYC and they have KYC. If you want to buy Bitcoin for fiat, everybody has KYC because they don't want to go to like prison, right? They don't want to go to jail. They don't want their company shut down by the government. This is the law. They have to do this under uh, money laundering regulations and things like that. But if you don't need to buy for KYC, don't need to buy for fiat, the beauty is that you could just sign up with an email address and a uh, phone number for two-factor authentication so that when you're withdrawing, they can make sure that you are who you say you are and that you should have access to your account. It's for your security. And that means you can use any sort of, like, Temporary phone number, uh, or you don't really want a temporary one, but you can use one that doesn't necessarily have your name on it as long as it will allow you to receive text messages so that you can get a code out of it and put it back in. So why, if you have to do KYC for Bitcoin to buy with fiat, would you even care about a no KYC exchange? Well, let's say that you do accept cryptocurrency as payment. And let's say people do pay you with cryptocurrency, and sometimes they pay you with a cryptocurrency you really don't want to keep. Uh, let's say that you, you know, somebody wants to pay you with Dogecoin, right, or Douchecoin or whatever, right? And you're like, I don't really want it, but I'll take it. Well, what you can do then is you give them an address to send to that's on your exchange account. Then you exchange that for Bitcoin on CoinX, okay? And then you withdraw it off of CoinX to your wallet. And now you have Bitcoin that is essentially no KYC Bitcoin because it was never associated with you with an actual 100% identification. So that is one of the advantages there. And if you dabble in other cryptocurrencies, most cryptocurrencies could be bought and sold in the world today are on CoinEx. They're one of the most liberal exchanges with that. I'll say it real quick. I recommend Bitcoin 99% of the time. For everything, there's very few cryptos I hold at all other than Bitcoin today. I have some Ethereum because I've had it for a long time. I'm well into money with it, and I do expect they're going to pull off this Ethereum 2.0, even though all the maxis say they're not going to. Uh, so I think there's a there's a win in that, and I have very low initial risk on it. And I hold Monero when people pay with it because I like its privacy, uh, pirate chain, etc. So that'll come around a little bit later. But I still consider everything but Bitcoin. You put your money on a table in Vegas, okay? So if you want these other ones, I'm not going to crap on you like a lot of Bitcoin maximalists do, but I'm going to tell you I recommend for most people buy and hold Bitcoin for the win long term. All right, next up is Strike. Strike is rapidly becoming my favorite way to buy 
uh, Bitcoin. Let's go back to Coinex real quick. I, I missed something there. Again, I apologize if my timing's a little off. First show after two weeks. Um, Coinex has really great rules when it comes to withdrawal. Now, if you receive or you put some money on the exchange, you swap it to something else and you want to withdraw it, you may have to wait an hour or more depending on which crypto you used and switched to because they want to make sure the transaction is clear before they let you take the money off. But it's same day. If you're no KYC, you can take up, I think it's $10,000, like just under $10,000 in value a day off the exchange with no KYC. Again, you can't buy for fiat, but withdrawals and you can add as many withdrawal addresses as you want. Uh, so you can keep your privacy that way too. And I always say every time that you do a transaction, you should use a new Bitcoin address. That's the best practice right there. So, uh, very good rules for withdrawal. Strike becoming my favorite way to buy Bitcoin, to send Bitcoin, period. Now, its biggest limitation is if you're not doing direct deposit, if you're doing uh, basically like a deposit from something like a bank card or something like that, you can only do $1,000 a week. And I hear that from people, the limits, the limits. If it wasn't for that, it would be great. And the people that are telling me this, I'm like, you're not buying $1,000 a week of Bitcoin. And you can do $3,000 withdrawal up to $10,000 a week. So you can just look at the limits yourself and see if they work for you. So the limits will not really affect most people. And there's no limit to how much you can have deposited with direct deposit from your paycheck. This actually is a limit for me. I do not run a conventional payroll from my business to myself. I don't get a paycheck. I do withdrawals based on my cash flow needs at any given time from the business cash flow. So I don't run a like a, a typical payroll to payroll service for myself and being that I'm like the only paid person in the company that makes sense if I did that I could then use direct deposit out of the I would have to use somebody like paychecks or something like that most of you have a w2 job even if you have your own business or you pay yourself a payroll out of the business if you have direct deposit you can use that with strike and what that means is you can have all or part of your paycheck go to strike. Now, why would you do this? You can actually use strike to pay a lot of bills without even touching Bitcoin. And I'm not going to get into that today, but you know, you can look at, you know, do the places you're paying bills allow for open payments to be made with dollars. Um, so it has that advantage too. So if you have direct deposit, you really are unlimited in my opinion, unless you're like a big time baller that wouldn't be listening to a basics podcast anyway. You know, if you're somebody that's trading a couple hundred thousand bucks a week in, in crypto, you're really, this is not for you anyway. And you wouldn't, you wouldn't need me to help you. Um, Stymie said he did max out his limit last week. And that's probably the thousand dollar limit on deposits. And again, if you're using other methods of getting your money into strike, those limits go way up. That's the one big thing. What I love about strike, and I'll show you this when I show you withdrawals. You do not have to buy Bitcoin to put money in the strike and get Bitcoin off strike. And this is a way you can spend Bitcoin without spending your Bitcoin. And we'll save that for all I'm going to say is you can have dollars on strike and you can send those dollars to a Bitcoin address and the conversion will be done on the send. And if you do that, you're going to be in great shape. Also, Stiney is saying correct, but due to the, it was due to the dip, not a favorable situation. This is a good point to pause here before I give you my uh, 
my last exchange I wanted to give you today that I, I recommend to say that this is why I recommend you have more than one exchange. So if you do get into a situation where you're like, man, this is a really great opportunity. I want to buy more. Or sometimes like one of the negative things I didn't say about Coinbase, and it's a true story, that sometimes when there's absolute hysteria in the market, either because of super highs or super lows, it just doesn't work. You'll go try to deposit or buy crypto, and there's so much activity that basically either the front end fails or they shut the front end down. I'm not really sure which one it is. Uh, you can judge that for yourself. Um, but that way, if you have multiple exchanges that you can transact with, if there's a problem with one, you can use another one. So my next one, and this is one that is really one of the best exchanges to buy cryptocurrency on. Though you may not like some of the rules. And like I said, you need to understand the rules. That's Swan Bitcoin. One of the things I love about Swan, same thing I love about Strike. They are Bitcoin only. They are not a shitcoin exchange. I would call CoinEx and Coinbase, both shitcoin exchanges, right? If you're trading SHIB and Doge and Cardano and all those shitcoins, um, you're a shitcoin exchange, right? Uh, And pretty much everybody falls into one of two categories. And this is not just Bitcoin maximalism. They're either a Bitcoin-only exchange or they're a shitcoin exchange. And what I mean by that is there's no exchanges that have, like, Bitcoin and, like, 10 other really solid projects or even 20. They either have Bitcoin-only or Bitcoin in thousands, right? And that's because it's, pro it's profitable for them because of trading fees, and they want to attract that type of, of, of buyer and trader. A swan is Bitcoin only. The rules are, number one, not even really a rule. It's a very secure exchange, which makes it a bit of a pain in the ass. Like, you don't even have a login. You put your email in. It sends you a code and a link. You have to click on the link and have the code to access your account. That would be one thing. So I would recommend that if you want to be able to use this exchange on your cell phone, that you make sure that whatever email you have paired with it is accessible on your cell phone. That's an issue for me. You might not think that it is, but it is. And the reason is I don't do email on my cell phone, usually, because I have to have a life. And email sucks you in. And so my email lives on my desktop computer over here to my right. And I don't generally do email on my cell phone. I do maintain a ProtonMail account, and it's what I use when I travel. And I have my my uh, my web admin forward all my normal email to that address while I'm gone. So with things like this, I'll often use that email account or one like it that might be actually on my cell phone just for things like login, two-factor authentication, and things like that. So that's the thing about Swan. When you set it up the first time, you're going to be like, this is a pain in the ass. But once you set it up, you'll go, boy, this is really secure. Now, again, they're Bitcoin only. They have different ways you can get money onto uh, their platform. This is what some of you are not going to like. If you use ACH and you deposit and you deposit and buy less than $2,500, you have to wait 10 days before you can withdraw your Bitcoin. 10 full days. If you use ACH and it's more than $2,500 in a given week, you have to wait 30 days before you can withdraw your Bitcoin. This, they say, is to protect them from ACH fraud. 
I don't know a lot about ACH fraud. I don't take ACH payments. I don't know how big of a problem it really is. They're probably not lying. Um, they also have instant ACH that follows the same rules. But then if you will do bank wire, a true bank wire, which has the limits on the time it takes to wire money in, you only wait 24 hours before you can withdraw your Bitcoin. Uh, with direct deposit, you only wait 24 hours. So if you have a W-2 job, and the main way you plan, plan to fund your Bitcoin purchases is with direct deposits, a day's not a big deal, guys. It really isn't. I, when I say don't hold on exchanges, we're going to get into that very deeply. I, I don't really care if you buy a couple hundred bucks today and you don't withdraw until tomorrow. I withdraw it as soon as the platform will let me. This is what I like about Coinbase and Strike. Once you've done all the crossing of T's and dotting of I's and you have been there as a customer and you can use PayPal and all, I can literally go on Coinbase right now, buy $100 worth of Bitcoin and instantly withdraw it because I bought it and they have my fiat. So unlike doing a trade or something where I've deposited another crypto and it has to clear, it's instant. Strike is the same way. In fact, Strike, and you'll see when I do the demo, you do not even have to buy Bitcoin. You can put dollars on and instantly send those dollars and have them turn into Bitcoin on the other end of the transaction. CoinX, again, you have to wait for the transactions to clear, but it's same day within the financial limits. Swan has these much more strict limits. Now, this is, okay, this is the beauty of Swan, though. Swan actually encourages you, please take your Bitcoin off our exchange. They're the only one I know that does. They even have a program where you can say, I want to buy, let's say I want a dollar cost average, $100 a week, $150 a week, whatever it is, into Bitcoin. So you set up a direct deposit and automatic buy. Every time you get a paycheck, $150 of your paycheck, because you can split a direct deposit, it still goes to your bank for your bills, and a certain amount goes to Swan. It automatically will buy the Bitcoin. You can also set up automatic withdrawals on Swan. This is great. You don't have to do anything except it's all going to go to one address unless you are constantly updating and, and verifying a new address. You can set up an address that you want to withdraw to. And then Swan will, once you read a cert, certain amount or on every specific day of the month, everything that's cleared that waiting period, it will automatically send it to you and you won't have to go do it again. So all four of these have different pluses and minuses. You're going to find that with all exchanges. And I'm sure there's going to be people like, I hate the blah, blah, whatever. Guys, then pick something different. And if you hate all four of the ones that I recommend, then pick something different. This is what I can say. I have used all four of these, and I have never lost a penny using them. Uh, I did have some people pretty pissed off with CoinX, but it was about pirate chain withdrawals, and those problems are years over a year old now. And that was integrating a very complex encrypted wallet system that created those hangups. Of the four, of the four, you know who has the best customer service? CoinX. Every single time I've had to have an interaction with, with, with customer service on CoinX, I've gotten a response within a couple hours and it's always been resolved to my satisfaction. Every single time. And so if you want the best customer service, you want CoinX. If you want the best experience, in my opinion, you want Strike. If you want to automate your investment, Strike and or Swan would be the where to go. If you want complete ease of use, i.e. it looks and works like PayPal, you want Coinbase. And I say you want more than one. What if you want to do no KYC, 
But you want to do KYC on CoinEx, set up two accounts. Set up one with a second email and some sort of forwarding text email or text uh, phone number service and use that for your no KYC side and then use your other one for your direct purchases. All of it works and all of it works well. And again, I do have referral links that will be in the on my website in the uh, the show notes of all of this stuff once it, it goes on after it's live. And see, there's Jeff saying he loves Swan. When I first tried Swan, I was like, this is a pain in the ass. Once I understood why they were doing what they were doing, I was like, oh, this is great. This is great, and it's really, again, great for the person that has um, the the situation where they're a, they want to automate things and they have a W-2 job. All right, moving on. I want to talk about how people hold or hodl and what hodl is. Hodl, people say, stands for hold on for dear life, and I guess it's become what it is. The genesis of the term hodl actually goes back to a simple typo. A guy made a simple typo in the early days uh, on the Bitcoin uh, uh, forums, and it just became a thing. But originally it was just a, a, a typo. But, yeah, that's what I said. It means hold on for dear life. But what it really means is I ain't selling my freaking Bitcoin. I'm keeping my Bitcoin. I'm holding long term. I'm going to keep buying. I'm going to keep doubling down. I'm in this for I have a long time, long term time preference. That's what it really means. And when you're hodling, there's a few different ways to do it. One is on exchange. You all know how I feel already. I hate this. I think this is terrible. Here's my problem. I would say a exchange like Swan Bitcoin, for instance, or Strike, very secure. The odds that somebody's going to hack into my account and steal my Bitcoin, very, very low. Very, very low. Um, that's not what I'm concerned about. Just think of what happened to Canadian truckers. So people were sending money to the truckers, and then they had their bank accounts frozen. One of the reasons we're in this, folks, is because nobody can take your Bitcoin. But what they can do is they can lock you out of your account that allows you to access Bitcoin that you think is yours, but it's not yours. It's the exchanges until you take it off. You're using a bank account, right? You're using a bank account if you're holding on exchange, and you shouldn't do it, and this is why. Let's say that I started the Jack Spirico Bitcoin Exchange, and I was running a large company, lots of employees, and uh, maybe it's so big even that I go public, right? The Jack, 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 Jack Bitcoin Exchange, right? Bitcoin Jack. And uh, Survivalizer, I don't know his real name, but I, w- I would know his real name because I would do KYC. Let's say his name is Bill Gates III, right? And uh, he sets up an account, and he gives me his credit card, and a bank account, driver's license, SSN, all of that stuff. And he has a proper account. And the United States federal government says, we need you to freeze Survivalizer's account. You might think being the crazy, raving, anarcho-libertarian that I am, I would say, hey, government, here, big old middle finger. I would not. I would freeze his account if I was in that business. And the reason is, number one, I'm not going to club fed. And going to prison. Number two, you remember all those investors and employees and all? I'm not having my entire concern shut down. If I don't have that business, I wouldn't go into that business. I don't want to be in that business. But when you go into that business, you agree to play by the system's rules. So you can bet that if if I would do it, the, the CEO of Coinbase is going to do it. The CEO of 
Coinex is going to do it or Swan or Striker, Bitrix, Bitfinex, whatever. They will shut you down if they receive the proper paperwork that says to shut you down and lock up your account. Also, I already mentioned that these exchanges, sometimes when there's big turmoil in the market, like it might not be even be malicious. It just might not work, and you might need your money at that point. That's why I recommend having more than one account for buying. But it's just bad. You shouldn't do it. And you'll notice something. When you hold on these exchanges, you don't have a backup phrase. This makes some people comfortable because if you don't have one, you can't lose one. We'll talk about how to make sure that doesn't happen in a bit. But that means you don't hold your keys to the coins, so they're not yours. There's a saying we have in privacy, right, when we talk about keeping your data private. And people say, well, it's private, but you're using, like, Amazon Web Services or Google Drive or something like that. It's not private, then, because there's no such thing as the cloud. People say, I, my data is in the cloud. No, dude, there's no cloud. There's only somebody else's computer. When you store your data, your pictures, whatever, on Google Drive or uh, or any service like that, there's a computer somewhere and your data's on it and you don't have the computer. You don't possess the computer. It's not in your hand. And what that means is, well, it's not your computer. It's their computer. With cryptocurrency, if you don't have what's known as your public key, which is that public address, when you say send me money and somebody takes that address and copies it, pastes it, or scans it and sends you Bitcoin, you can't keep that private, then no one could get money to you, right? Now, you might want to keep it not associated with you personally by name, and that's why we use new ones all the time, but you have to make that public or you can't get money. There has to be something I enter to send you money. On the back side of it is a private key. We talked about this in episode two. And when those two together go together, that's when we can then move off of that address onto another address. And the way that we manage that in a simple way is for the whole wallet, there'll be what's known as a backup phrase. This will be a series of, letter, of words, and they can be anywhere from 12 words to something like 36 or more words. You don't have that with whatever you're holding You don't hold your own coins. Someone is doing it for you. So on exchange, the worst option there is, do not do it. You do not own Bitcoin. Somebody has said you're entitled to a certain amount of Bitcoin at their discretion. And when we buy Bitcoin on an exchange for a time, we are dealing with that risk. No matter where, no matter how, we've put our money into somebody else's custody, meaning they have custody of it, And until the withdrawal is completely executed, they maintain that custody, and there's a risk to it because of that, no matter how trustworthy they are. Because remember, if I get paperwork from the United States government that says, thou shall shut down Vincent Lumen's account, or lock Vincent Lumen's account, or we shall shut down your entire business, and you won't make payroll at the end of the week, I'm going to shut it down. And any of these other companies will as well, because they have to. That doesn't mean you wouldn't fight it. But when, when push comes to shove and you know you're going to lose, you're going to do what you're asked to do. Any business is going to. It's called a fiduciary responsibility. Don't, don't beat them up for it. Next is using a software wallet. You guys that have like a couple grand or less in Bitcoin or other cryptos and you're holding on just a software wallet, I'm not going to beat you up. You have your own keys. You have your own backup phrase. 
And let's say you were using Joe Blow's software wallet. As long as it's open source and it's on GitHub and it's been picked apart by all of the great computer minds of the world so they know there's not some exploit in it or something like that, your money's secure until somebody gets your device and logs into it and goes, oh, look it, he has money. I wonder if he encrypted his wallet or I wonder if the passcode to his wallet is the same as the passcode to his phone that he had taped inside the case or whatever. Now they have access to your wallet. They can start sending your money. Other than that, it's secure. It's as secure as your device is. All right? Um, you have a backup phrase. And that means if you had crypto on your phone, you only had one wallet, uh, which is a bad idea. We'll talk about that in a second. Like, you should have multiple copies of the same wallet on different devices, and it'll sync across all of them. And that way, if this phone explodes, you still have it. You're still good. You just open the other device. But even if you didn't, you only had, let's say you had 500 bucks worth of Bitcoin. It was your life savings of Bitcoin. And this phone fell into the ocean. And you have your backup phrase somewhere. You can go to another device. You can download a wallet. You can say restore from past phrase. You can enter your, your secret code, right? Your, your, your 12, 24 words, whatever it is. And boom, it's back. So it's very secure. But it's only as secure as the device that it's on. So if you maintain, like most people, at least a software, let's, I use Exodus. I have Exodus on my phone and on my computer. If people get into either of them, it's only as secure as the device itself. So it's good, but it has that, that's it. That's, that's its big risk. Next we have a hardware wallet. And, um, I want to bring my, Slides back up real quick here. So this is an example of a hardware wallet. We'll go over this in just a minute, but it's a device. It's something that, here's a USB stick. This could just as easily be a Ledger Nano. This must be plugged in, or you must have possession of it, depending on how it works, and it must be somehow intentionally connected to the Internet to move money when it's on a hardware wallet. So... I can, I actually use, and I'll talk about this in a second, Exodus and a Trezor Model T, which is the one on the right side of your screen you're looking at there if you're watching the video. And that means with Exodus, I can see all the Bitcoin that I have. But only the Bitcoin that's only in Exodus can be moved if you get access to the device. So maybe a few hundred to a thousand bucks worth. As that accrues, I move it over to my hardware wallet or I send it straight to my hardware wallet, and then the next time I pair the two, Exodus goes, oh, there's more money on the Trezor now. So then I can take that little device, and I can put it, like, in a safe somewhere, like, I mean, an actual, like, in the wall or in the ground safe, a fire safe if you're not stupid. And now you would need to get your hands on the hardware wallet, and you would have to be able to hook it up to the Internet before you could move it. Now, even though I pair it with Exodus as a software wallet, if you had the hardware wallet and you had the code to open it, then it's still only as secure as the device itself because I don't need Exodus to move money off the hardware wallet. Again, the two will kind of pair up and, and exchange information the next time that they go together. And without actually touching the hardware wallet, okay, I can, in fact, receive money to it because there's an address, let's say, that, that lives on the hardware wallet. So I can actually 
put an address on a website, for instance, to accept payments. You make a payment, and it ends up on my hardware wallet, even if I don't touch it, and I just won't see it till the next time I activate it and use it. This is incredibly secure, and there's ways to make it even more secure. But it's very important that you understand, um, and, and Survivalizer is saying, Trezor is still a software wallet at the end of the day. It's just the hardware holds your keys. It still has a passphrase. Exactly. We're not going to get into full-on self-custody. However, what Trezor does allow for is multi-signature. So you can actually have two phrases and you need both of them or two keys and you need both of them or two codes and you need both of them to move the money, which can be stored in separate locations. The big difference, and this is where Survivalizer is not quite right, you can't hack into access because it's not connected. It's cold storage. It's it's over here. It's not connected. And Trezor doesn't have your keys. They don't know your keys. You know your keys. I don't care how you store your Bitcoin. If there's a backup phrase to it, if somebody has the phrase, they can access it, which is not necessarily bad because you may need to do that, and we'll talk about how that can be done uh, in just a second. Now, going back to this, I want to talk about why I personally use Exodus and uh, Trezor. They pair beautifully. They're designed to work together. There's a little piece of software called a bridge that allows them to talk to each other, and if you're using that, once you have it set up, you plug it in, boom, it works. Uh, and I'm going to show you a short video here in just a second that shows you how easily it works. Um, next is the Trezor has been around forever. I think it was the first hardware wallet, right? And 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 Hillbilly Hipster saying something here, I think this is really important to understand. Coins never leave the blockchain. So all of this idea that you have some super secret way to secure your shit that's more super secret than the other super secret shit, the coin's still on the blockchain. There's still a public and private key. If you have those two pieces of information, I don't care what you've done, you can move that, that currency. It's the access through the device. It's the GUI, the graphic user interface that actually makes a difference in how much information you need to go through this particular thing. In the end, if you have the public and private key, you have the public and private key. If you have a backup passphrase, you have a backup passphrase. But I personally feel that once you get into a few thousand dollars or more, you probably want to get a hardware wallet. And it also makes sense to, as you really build out your stack, to maybe have multiple hardware wallets and maybe break up your Bitcoin. Let's say you had a $100,000 worth of Bitcoin after the crash, before the crash. It doesn't really matter. Maybe you have about 25000 on each one of those wallets. And they all have their own passphrase, et cetera. Right? And that way you have more not putting all your eggs in one basket, so to say. Right? So um, let me just show you this real quick video here of how to pair an Exodus wallet with a Trezor Model T. And it will work with the Model 1, and I'll talk after this is over a little bit about the difference between the Model 1 and the Model T. Setting up a brand new Trezor Model T hardware wallet or any Trezor hardware wallet is easy with Exodus. This Exodus tutorial will take you through the steps needed to set up your Trezor wallet. First, make sure any programs that may interfere with the pairing of your hardware wallet are closed, such as the Trezor Web Wallet, Electrum, or My Ether Wallet. 
Plug in your Trizer and go to Settings. Click on the Devices tab and toggle Detect Trizer to on. If this is your first time setting up Trizer, you'll see a prompt to install Trizer Bridge. Trizer Bridge is an application that allows your Trizer to communicate with Exodus. To install Trezor Bridge, you will need a Chromium browser such as Firefox, Chrome, or Brave. You won't be able to download it with Safari. Because updating Trezor firmware can restore its factory settings, close any apps that might be open that use Trezor, including the website trezor.io. Click Update Now. A message will announce that the update was successful. Your Trezor will boot up as it begins to update the firmware. Do not close Exodus or disconnect the device while the firmware update is in progress. Trezor will auto-restart when finished. Next, Exodus will prompt you to initialize the device by giving you two options, restore from a recovery phrase or create a new wallet. Select create a new wallet. Give a name to your newly created Trezor wallet and click confirm. You'll see instructions on your Trezor screen and you'll be asked if you agree to the terms of service. Click the green checkmark button directly on the Trezor touchscreen to create a new wallet. You'll next be asked to create a new pin code. It can be any length you like, but keep in mind that longer pins are more secure. You will need this pin to unlock your Trezor moving forward. Confirm on the Trezor screen that you understand that you should never make a digital copy of your secret phrase. You will then be shown your 18-word secret recovery phrase. Swipe on your Trezor to view all of the words. Write them down on paper, spelled correctly and in the correct order. Never store them digitally. After you've written down your secret phrase, hold down Confirm on your Trezor device. You will be asked to confirm a few of the words before proceeding. Once created on your Trezor device, Exodus will announce New Wallet Created. Click Pair Now. Pairing may take a few minutes. When it's finished, a message indicates Trezor successfully paired. Click Continue to Portfolio. Back on your portfolio screen, you'll now see your Trezor wallet as one of the portfolio tabs on the top of the screen, alongside your Exodus wallets. Once paired, you can safely and quickly transfer funds between your Exodus and Trezor portfolio. Click on the asset you'd like to move to your Trezor hardware wallet to open the asset screen. Then click the Transfer Funds button on the left side of the Send button. This will let you choose which of your portfolios you'd like to move funds to and from. Note that Trezor does not support all of the assets available in Exodus. If the asset you've chosen is not supported, then the Trezor wallet will not appear as a destination option. A gas fee is required to transfer Ethereum assets to your Trezor wallet. If you do not have sufficient funds to cover gas fees, a notification will appear at the bottom of the screen. You can keep track of your Trezor portfolio, view your addresses, and send funds to your Trezor even when your Trezor is disconnected. If you want to access your Trezor funds in order to send, simply open Exodus, plug in Trezor, and enter your PIN directly on the Trezor touchscreen. We have a lot more videos for you, so just click any of these to keep watching. And if this video helped, give it a like and subscribe to the channel for more crypto videos from Exodus. All right, guys. So that that should make you realize it is very simple. Now, I wanted to say one thing here. When I shared this video a couple of weeks ago on Twitter, there was an individual that was irate and said, I have to pay Ethereum gas fees to move my Bitcoin off of Exodus onto my Trezor hardware wallet. That's just dumb. This person is not dumb. This person is hard headed. Um, and they are also the kind of person that always thinks somebody's out to screw them all the time. That's what I've learned about this person over time. But given they're not, the person's not stupid, they could have, I, I can see how you come away with that because they're talking about the Ethereum gas fees while showing a Bitcoin transaction in the video. If you're on audio, you're like, where'd you get that from? But if you saw the video, you know what I mean. And so I just want to be clear, like, 
the only fees are the fees. When you have all your Bitcoin in Exodus and then you say, I want to add this hardware wallet, you are doing a transaction. You are moving from the Exodus wallet to the Trezor wallet. The two can just see each other. So whatever fees there are, there are. And they mentioned gas fees because Ethereum gas fees are stupid, right? So that's why, um, that's why that happens. So anyway, the fees on Bitcoin have actually gotten for any, for the amount you'd be moving here really low, really low. Like you don't have to sweat this stuff on fees. I'll, I'll show you that here in just a second. Um, but somebody mentioned while this was going on, 229 Mick. He said, an Exodus support is very happy to help if you have problems with your trays or ran into trouble on the initial setup. Then a year or so later, their support got me set via email within an hour. You want to know why I recommend Exodus, other than the fact that it's just a beautiful wallet with a beautiful interface where I can put notes on every transaction for my own records and things like that. Uh Customer support, I've had to use it once. It was fantastic. And it ended with, is there anything else I can do for you now? I like support that works that way. So I like to recommend products and services where I know that you will get the support you need. In my situation, I was still playing around some shit coining at the time, and I bought some Polygon, and I already had some Polygon, and I sent the Polygon to my Exodus wallet, and the transaction showed up, and it was on the Explorer, and it wasn't there. And I was like, where did it go? And it turns out there's two Polygon chains, uh, and I had activated the other chain. And all I had to do was turn the second chain on, and it shows us two different balances, but the right amount. Now, I would have waited forever to get an answer to a question like that from someone like Coinbase. I got that answer within an hour and a half from Exodus. So their support is great. Trezor's support is good. But if you're trying to get that whole setup done, I would rely on Exodus support. That's why I recommend them. Uh, I do want to talk a little bit about, let me put this back up, the two primary offerings from Trezor, the Model 1 and the Model T. The Model T's been around since, or Model 1's been around since uh, 2012. It's pretty basic. Um, for me, it's a, not, it's, it's a lot cheaper. It's 77 bucks versus about 280 bucks. Right. There's a reason it has two buttons on it. So think of the model one, like the iPod, the old school iPod with a wheel and a button. Right. And, and the model T more like uh, one of the first generations of smartphones. We actually had a keyboard because it's a touch screen. It's much easier to operate and to function with. Not that you're probably going to be pulling out your hardware wallet very often. Anyway, again, we can send money to the hardware wallet without actually touching it. That's great. Right. Um, but when you do have to use it, it's a lot more convenient. The bigger thing is, remember I talked about, and I'm going to get deep into this today, but you can have a multi-sig for your hardware wallet, meaning you have two different keys, right? And you need them both to unlock the funds for greater security. That, to me, is really cool. And it would work if you were using a, if you're running a Bitcoin business, and you wanted to have a certain amount of funds that you kept in Bitcoin for company operations, but you wanted two people to have to approve a transaction, they would both need to put in their key to allow a transaction to occur. So that like there's some advanced features and there's some other things as well. And then there's kind of a really cool feature. 
you could actually make your back, uh, your, your backup phrase, your, your list of words, more words with the uh, Model T. I think you can do up to 36 words. So the more complex it is, the better. And if you're going to do the little project that I'm going to give you here at the end, you really can make that secure and almost have like a multi-sig cold backup phrase, uh, maybe broken into three 12-word segments, and anybody who got a hold of one of them wouldn't be able to do anything. So there are some other advanced features, but the biggest thing that most of you will find uh, as far as anything is going to be ease of use because of that touchscreen, and it's when you're doing your backup phrase and all that stuff, it's just easier. Is it worth the money? Depends. It's up to you. The other thing is, since I'm so heavy anymore on Bitcoin really only, um, it's not as big a deal, but it still is for me. One of the coins that when people pay me in it, I continue to hold it instead of switching it to Bitcoin is Monero. The Model T supports more digital assets, more coins and tokens than the Model 1. Most of that I don't care, but the Model 1 doesn't support Monero. So that kind of makes it a non-starter for me. So there, there's what you go there. Um, I do want to now move on and show you guys how to do a withdrawal. For you guys that have been doing crypto for a long time, this will be boring. I'm sorry. And if you're on the audio only, you probably want to look the video up. And maybe I'll break out this piece of the video uh, for Coinbase and for Strike as two separate small videos for you guys. But I, I decided I would do this this morning. So I bought some Bitcoin on Strike, and I did a withdrawal from Coinbase. Uh, because people have been buying the dip, I had some new referrals in Coinbase. I get 10 bucks, so probably four or five people uh, resulted in this $43.34 balance that I had in Coinbase today. So I logged into my Coinbase account. And people try to make this like it's really complicated. But up at the top, you'll see buy and sell, and then right next to it, you will see send and receive. Guess what you do when you want to withdraw your Bitcoin? You click on send. And this is where I'm going to pick on some people a little bit. I've had people buy from me with Bitcoin, meaning you did this already, but you won't do it to your own wallet. It's insanity. Stop it. Do not hold on exchange. Anyway, you click send and receive. You will then go to whatever wallet you're going to receive to. In this case, I chose to receive to my Exodus wallet. And this one was done on a computer, so this is the desktop version of Exodus. So I just went to my Bitcoin uh, asset in Exodus and clicked on Receive. And it gave me an address. And there's a little, like, copy-paste thing right next to the address there. I copied that. You could scan the QR code depending on how you're doing this, but I copied the address. Then I went back over to Coinbase, and I dropped that address into where it says to. So put the address where it says send to where. I want to send it to this address. It happened to be my own address. And I clicked on send all because I wanted to get all my money off the exchange. Then after that, it'll say confirm. Now what that is, is Coinbase for your security requires you to pair a phone number with your account and you will get a text message that gives you a code. You enter that code. It's a one-time code for that transaction only. They tell you not to share it with anybody but unless you shared it immediately before your transaction, it really wouldn't matter. So you enter that code, and then you say, I'm, I'm sure I want to do this. Make it happen. Hit send now, and after you hit send now, it'll say, you've you've done it. It's The money's on the way. You click the done button. You'll go back to your account. If you did what I did, your account balance will be zero. That's it. You've done it. And you can see right here, 
since I did the, the uh, strike transaction, both of them were pending at that point. But that upper transaction, that, that top one that says received a few minutes ago, uh, that is, that is, uh, there. And so that's, that's that. Um, next with strike. Strike here we have, we're receiving, uh, 50 bucks and, uh, or actually I, I deposited $50 with strike here. And, uh, so I, I made the deposit and you just do that by hitting deposit. I use a credit or debit card with strike. And, uh, so you hit deposit and then the center one there, you've done it, you hit confirm. And since I use a credit debit card, it wants the little three digit number. So you add that and you hit confirm from there. It says you've, you've confirmed your deposit. Now this is the cool thing with strike. Notice I did not buy any Bitcoin. At this point, right now on strike, I am holding a whopping $50 in US dollars. Actually, it's like $50.73 or something like that, right? Because of a transaction that left a little bit of money behind. I went into my Exodus wallet on my iPhone, and I just copied an address. And then I went into to uh, back to strike over here, And where you click send from the dollar screen, there's a place where you can click a little QR code to do a QR code. I click that. It's, it opened up my camera so that I can scan it. Instead of scanning a QR code because it's on the same device, I just hit paste. And when I hit paste, it dropped a Bitcoin address into there. After that, I said, are you sure you want to do this? Do you want to send this $50? I hit confirm, and it sent it to uh an Exodus wallet of mine, right? That's it, guys. That's all there is to it. So in that case, I sent 50 bucks worth of Bitcoin to myself without buying Bitcoin. Without buying Bitcoin. Now think about what that means and how that actually happened. Strike uses Lightning Network. That'll be the next episode. Okay? And... But I didn't buy Bitcoin. Well, how'd that work? So Strike on the back end made the exchange for me and sent Bitcoin to the address. Does Strike know that Bitcoin address is my address? No. Did I ever confirm that address? No. Do I have to do anything to make that address work with Strike? No. All it has to be is a valid Bitcoin address. That's it. That's all that it has to be. Now, how's that work? And what does that mean? That means that if Jim K here in the chat was like, you know what, Jack, I would, I, 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 I would like to get paid in Bitcoin. And I want to spend Bitcoin with Jim K, but I don't want to spend my Bitcoin. I had this question on another video today. Michael Saylor says, never spend your Bitcoin. So does that mean we shouldn't transact in Bitcoin? No. And here's a beautiful way to show you how to do that. So I go into, let's say Jim K runs a, a brick and mortar store and he has a sign in the window, Bitcoin accepted here. And I go in and I find some little doodad, right? Something like this little guy here. And I say, well, how much is this? And he says, it's $47.52. And I have more than that in strike, but I have it in dollars. I'm holding some pocket change, some dollars in strike. Well, 
all I do is send him his $47.32 or whatever he said it was with what I just showed you there. And it's done and out. Yes, Adrian, I do. I, I really didn't mean to, to reveal that. I was in a hurry this morning, but that's one of the wallets, yes. Uh, so you know what that wallet has is a, is a total amount of Bitcoin in it now, which was kind of a mistake. Uh, anyway, um, <laughs> but yeah, so then I send that $47.32. It's gone. It's happened, and he's received Bitcoin, but I spend dollars. What's my capital gains cost on that now? What's, what's my capital? I have no capital gains impact whatsoever. What is, what is Jim Case capital gain? He records a sale for $47.32 in his point of sale if he does that, right? He just has Bitcoin. Bitcoin goes up, Bitcoin goes down, there's no impact on it. So we're getting to a point now with technologies like Strike where it's great for me because if I want to buy a couple hundred bucks here or there of Bitcoin, I can just deposit And send. I don't actually have to do the transaction. I save a step. It happens immediately. It costs me a nickel, by the way, when I do that. It costs me a nickel. Okay. Cool. And that's so the fees are almost non-existent at that point. But if I want to go out, like there's a Bitcoin meetup group that's down in Fort Worth. And, of course, they do like a monthly at a restaurant. Everybody goes and has a couple drinks order some steak, stuff like that. And, of course, they're only going to go to restaurants to take Bitcoin. So I go to this meetup, and I want to spend Bitcoin, man. I want to fit in with my Bitcoin meetup group. I want to support Bitcoin transactions. Well, <laughs> anyway, so how do, how, how do I do that now? Well, I can go there, and I don't know how much I'm going to spend. Maybe they're going to have a really great special like surf and turf and I'm going to spend like a hundred bucks, uh, for my wife and I. And maybe if I had a couple drinks, I'm going to spend like 160, 170 bucks tonight. Or maybe like I'm just going to have appetizers or something and a couple beers. I'm going to spend 20 or 30 bucks. Well, all I have to do is deposit. It's on demand. I can have that deposit done in a couple seconds. It's no different to me than making the payment with my debit card or something like that. Right. So, yeah. Think, think how that works now. Think how that opens up the ability for you to spend Bitcoin. You never bought Bitcoin. You understand? Like, like this is the most important thing to understand about where we're going. And that lightning enables that. You don't have to use lightning, but you use lightning. You just don't know that you use lightning right there. So there we go. Moving on. Um, I want to talk about why right now is when you should be buying Bitcoin. If you are not yet in Bitcoin. Yeah. And Liberty Meat Solution says, yeah, but if you were to spend Doge, it means you have to hold Doge to spend Doge. And why would you want to do that? Exactly. And I'll say something here before I go to this last part and we wrap up. When you hear a company say, we accept Doge or we accept Ethereum or we accept whatever. It's what I call, when I say we accept Bitcoin, most companies are doing what I've, a term I've called orange washing. They don't actually accept Doge. They don't actually accept Ethereum in that when they receive that, they have a back end system that's converting it to dollars as quickly as they can. Unless they're a company that's literally putting a crypto asset on their company balance sheet and holding it, 
What they're really doing is they're just letting it be a form of payment and go back to dollars as quick as they can. Now, there's there's no really quick, slick way to do that with any crypto without a bunch of propeller heads in the background making your system do it or somebody doing a daily, like some CFO or somebody doing a daily transaction with an exchange, except with Bitcoin. With Bitcoin and open payments, you can do what I just showed you. I send U.S. dollars. The other side receives Bitcoin. And so now this opens up Bitcoin payments to everything. And we'll go into more complex situations in the future here um, where this will be able to go either direction or go from, let's say, U.S. dollars over the Bitcoin Lightning Network as Bitcoin and pay a vendor in Australia in Australian dollars. You can't do that with Dogecoin. You can't do that with Ethereum. You can't do it with Bitcoin Cash. You can't do it with Ripple. You can't do it with any of this shit. You can do it with Bitcoin, not tomorrow. You can do it with Bitcoin today. It's only about integrating, you know, with uh, multinational jurisdictions and things like that. Do they approve of the company that's working in on the other side? The reality, though, is it doesn't even matter if they do because it's software. So unless you can actually block the software, you, you can't really stop anybody from doing it. And we can do that right now because with very few exceptions, you can exchange Bitcoin to a native currency anywhere in the world 24-7, 365. It is the most powerful thing that there is. So that's a good tie-in to my wrap-up right now. But right now is when people are like, get into Bitcoin. Are you crazy? Are you insane? Didn't you see that it crashed? This is the same person that probably told you a couple months ago, man, I should have bought it when it was really, really low. Okay, so the first reason that you want to get into Bitcoin right now if you're not already there or you want to buy more if you're already involved is because of math. Obviously, if I buy Bitcoin when it's at $20,000 per Bitcoin, I get more Satoshis, I get more Bitcoin with a $100 or a $1,000 purchase than I do if I buy it when it's at 40 Anybody understands that. So that's that's alone a really great reason, obviously. Buy low, sell high is the old thing. But, but to me, it's buy low and hold forever, right? But psychology is more important. Because here's what's happened to a lot of people right now. And I know it's happened because, like I said, I have referral links in the page that you can get to about an hour after this is finished and wrapped up from the live stream. Guys, I know what you're doing because I, I see the referrals come in. And when Bitcoin is at like an all-time high, I'm getting between 5 and 15 referrals a day. So $10 referrals. Obviously, I'm getting a lot less Bitcoin at that point, too, because I'm getting 10 U.S. dollars from Coinbase or 5 bucks from Strike or whatever, 10 bucks from Swan. So I see that when, you know, Michael Saylor puts it on the balance sheet, and then Elon Musk says that Tesla's going to accept it and hold it, and then some athlete comes out, and all of a sudden Bitcoin's at like $63,000, and I'm getting these massive numbers of referrals out of the audience. And then it drops, and the referrals drop right along with it. And it goes to a bottom, and then occasionally there'll be, like, this time seems a little different. There's been kind of a pickup. I had four referrals this morning, you know, and as soon as I clean the money out, of Coinbase, another one came in, and who knows if another one or two came in while I was doing this. But I see the most the most people on board at the highest, most exciting point in the market, and the least people on board in the 
the halfway point of the halving cycle. So in episode two, we talked about the halving cycle. About every four years, the amount of new Bitcoin being produced gets cut in half. So I think it's 16 right now. I could be wrong. Maybe it's 32 and it's going to 16. But if it's at 16, it goes to eight. If it's at 32, it goes to 16 and it keeps cutting in half every four years. There's something that's important to understand here. Historically, the midway, so two years after the last halving, is the dark days of Bitcoin. It's been that way over and over and over and over again. It really has. And uh, people want to believe that's going to change, and eventually it may. And But if right now Bitcoin does what it's done historically during this halving cycle, it will come down about 80% from the all-time high. That would put it, I believe, when I did the math, it was like 14.4. So there's people like, this never happened before because the new low fell through the past all-time high of the last cycle in 2018 or whatever. This has happened before. It just never happened quite that way before. It's been the case that Bitcoin will have this huge run-up and will generally draw down by about 80% from that all-time high and then make another run-up that's even higher and then draw down by 80% from the all-time high and then make another run. It's done this multiple times, and it's been very consistent in this. Now, If if that happens this time, all I'm going to do is buy more Bitcoin. That's all that I'm going to do is buy more Bitcoin. And if it happens again, I'm going to buy more Bitcoin. Right? That's that's all that means to me. Now, why? Because when I got into Bitcoin, it was trading for between three and six hundred bucks. So, what's my psychology at this point? What is my apprehension at this point? How do I feel at this point? When Bitcoin goes down to 17,000 like it did a couple days ago for a few seconds, do I go, oh, or I'm like, oh, that's, that's great. I can buy some more. And does it matter that I bought some Bitcoin at $56,000? I didn't buy any in the mid sixties, by the way. I was like, this is, this is, I think we're capping out here, right? If it would have kept going, maybe I would have came back in and bought some more, but I kind of, I kind of, but as it came down, I bought Bitcoin in the forties. I bought Bitcoin in the 30s. I bought Bitcoin back in the 40s. I bought it back in the 30s when it flipped back and forth. I bought it in the 20s. And then it, it drops down to 17, 18, 19, 20,000, whatever. And I'm like, big whoop. Well, why? Because my psychology, my internal psychology is one of, I've been through this like four times now. So I know what happens and it's okay. But it's also like, if you buy at an all-time high and then a year later, you're at that midpoint in the halving cycle at a low, you think the world ended. You probably let yourself really begin to understand Bitcoin. You started thinking about that long-term future with Bitcoin. And then when it went up higher and higher and higher and higher, you know, you're like, wow, wow, this is really going to work. And then it was like somebody took that all away from you. If you come in in a bear market, like right now, and you're buying some Bitcoin, 16, 17, 18, 20,000, 21,000, whatever. And Bitcoin, as it approaches the next halving, does what it traditionally does. is It explodes. It goes up to 120, 130, 140, 150,000. Let's say it goes to 200,000. And then the next midpoint, we get a correction from there. We get an 80% correction. It would drop by 160 grand. It would, it would be down at 40. But you, you came in at 20. How do you feel about it? How do you feel about it? You don't really care. 
And you shouldn't really care. Because what is what what do we teach in Bitcoin about time preference? Time preference equals long. So there's a weird thing in the human mind that screws us up. And it causes us to break the rules. And that is every reliable means and proven means of building wealth over time is boring. I taught that to you guys like two years ago on a Miyagi episode, Miyagi Mornings episode, right? Every reliable method of building wealth is boring. People say, no, it's exciting. No, it's boring. Because you want the formula to get rich with Bitcoin. Buy it, keep buying it, keep taking it, sweep your reserve capital into it, and otherwise put yourself into a freaking coma. What could be more boring than sitting here in a coma like a zombie? And it will give you the discipline to play the long play of 10 years or more. 10 years or more. 10 years or more, none of this matters. So to see people freaking out, like, it went down, so I had to sell my Bitcoin. Why? Now, if you got into leverage or something like that, again, you're probably not listening to a basics episode. Maybe you should, right? So if you had to sell your Bitcoin because the price went down because you were leveraged into some sort of options play or something, right, some short of short or long or something like that, that's different. But these people are like, man, I had to sell it. Well, why? Because it went down. Okay, you're stupid. Thank you for selling me your Bitcoin. Equally, though, when it goes up, you didn't get any wealthier. Ask yourself a question. Do I have to pay tax on this? If you don't have to pay tax on it, you didn't really get any broker or wealthier. You're just holding it. It's just sitting there. It's a long-term investment. So if you come in at the bottom of a market, or in the dark days anyway, even if we're not at the absolute bottom, at this point, your mindset in getting through, you're, you're going to do this. Okay? If you're going to become a Bitcoin investor, not a trader, but an investor, and traders generally get wrecked over time, but if you're going to become a Bitcoin investor, you're going to ride the roller coaster. You're going to have to hodl, hold on for dear life. You're going to watch your wealth build, and you're going to look at it, nothing but a number on a screen and say, shit, I have a lot of money. It's 100000 it's 200000 it's fifty grand, whatever it is, it's twenty grand." I, I, and you started with maybe, you know, hundreds or a few thousand dollars, and now you're looking at tens of thousands of dollars. You started with a few tens of thousands, and now you're looking at hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars, right? And then that number's going to go down, and then you start to behave irrationally. Well, that's going to happen no matter what. That's human psychology. But the higher the number you enter at is, the harder it's going to be for you to have the discipline to get through this the first time. Now, once you get through the first time, you go from being what they call a pleb, right? Brand new, eyes wide open, no idea what's going on. I've discovered Bitcoin. Buy, 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 buy whenever I can. Buy and hodl, buy and hodl to the moon, Lambo and believe. And I, and you say, I will hold through anything. I don't care. I hope it goes to $9,400. Then I'm going to back the truck. And you say all this stupid shit until it happens. But once it happens one time, once it happens one time, you're like, oh, okay, I've been through it. When you do it twice, when you've been through two cycles, you're like, I don't give a shit. You say the same words, 
but you actually mean them. You'll be more likely to get through this if you come into a market like we're in now than if you come into a market 18 months from now. As we approach the next halving and all the shit that's going sideways in the economy and all the good stuff that's happening for Bitcoin with regulation and basically the government saying, hey, we're not going to ban this, right? Giving people more confidence. We're going to get an ETF, et cetera. If you come in then, no matter how good it gets, there's going to be a drawdown on the other side of the next cycle. Now, how often that happens, okay, how often that happens or how big the variance is, will change over time, and as Bitcoin goes and it fulfills its destiny, in my opinion, the volatility will calm somewhat, and the fluctuations will, and maybe we won't have 80% drawdowns. Maybe we won't, maybe we won't have an 80% correction this time. Maybe we will. Maybe we'll have a 90% correction off the all-time high. Maybe we won't. I don't know. But I know there'll be some significant correction because that's what's always happened. And Brandon says DCA, just always DCA. I agree. Um, now, uh, Weather is asking me, do you, do I recommend a Trezor over other hard wallets like Ledger, et cetera? I do personally. If you use a Ledger, I don't care. If you use a Bitbox, I don't care. If you're happy with it, I like the pairing and running multiple multiple hard, hardware wallets with Exodus, et cetera, right? And having multiple portfolios in Exodus, and I love the pairing feature. I love being able to manage my entire portfolio and see where I'm at without actually pulling the hardware wallet out and only needing to pull the hardware wallet out if I need to move money one way or the other. I, I love that. But I don't care what you use. I, I don't. I, I really don't. It doesn't matter. But the psychology is, is, is huge. And I do just want to reinforce his history would say this market should bottom somewhere in the $14,000 range. That does not mean it is going to, to happen. Uh, I cannot do that today. Gray, Gray is asking me if I can explain UTXOs. That'll be a future episode. Uh, but I will tell you if you're doing something like we're talking about today, uh, you don't have to worry about them. This is the people that are doing 100% self-custody. Have to worry about UTXOs. There's a great article that was out, out on it recently. I'll see if I can find it added to the, uh, to, to the situation or to the uh, show notes. Um, but I, what I want to finish with, timing of the market's not that important. So even though I'm saying that when you're in this phase, this is the ideal time to become an entrant into Bitcoin or to double down if you're already there. Timing doesn't mean anything over the long term in reality. Because, I mean, I believe the future of Bitcoin is above $1 million. In fact, significantly thereof. I really do. And so, yes, technically, if you had timed your buys perfectly and always bought during the dips, etc., long term, you would be like, yeah, I have more money now. But if you become a whole coiner or better, which means you have at least one full Bitcoin, you're not going to remember or care about that. All you're going to remember is the times that you had some some surplus capital, you didn't really need it, you could have bought and you didn't. So I don't think the timing is anywhere near 
anywhere near as important as the consistency and the discipline. My final thoughts are, guys, look, I think there is such a thing as once-in-a-lifetime opportunities. I really do. I've been pushing Bitcoin, and as a prepper, and as somebody that's mostly in the prepper space, it's it's actually hurt me over the years with my audience headcount, et cetera, because there's people in the prepper survivalist space, they don't want to hear the word Bitcoin. They think it's all a scam, whatever, and it's become more the case over time because there's a lot of people that are really bitter that somebody told them about it like me when it was 300 bucks but somebody told them about it when it was a dollar or $12 or $14 or 25 bucks and, and they could have went and spent a thousand dollars and just chunked it in there and said screw it like a lottery ticket and they could be worth millions and millions of dollars today And they can't accept that that happened. And it can't possibly be that they were wrong. And then they doubled down on no. But I kept pushing it. And those of you who have listened to me know that, again, I, I really started su suggesting it in 2013. But I started pushing it in 2014. And I have refused to shut up about it since 2014. What is that, eight years? Refused to shut up about it. You need to have some of this in your portfolio, my exact words. Because this is not a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. This might be a once-in-a-generation opportunity. Maybe it's once-in-a-century. Maybe it's once-in-a-millennia. How many times has there been the rise of a global reserve asset in the history of civilization? And I don't know the answer to that question. I guess that would beg the question, what is a global reserve asset? Right now it's the dollar. Prior to that it was gold and silver. It's been other things throughout history, but it's not something that happens very often. And I don't know that there's ever been a time where the average person has had a legitimate opportunity to front, front run the institutions. Where you... You had a chance to front-run Goldman Sachs. I don't know that that's true anymore. Goldman Sachs has become pretty pretty bullish on Bitcoin. But you had a chance to front-run all these institutions, and you still have a chance to front-run most of the world. It is an incredibly small number of people in the world that own Bitcoin right now. An incredible small number. And I want you to start thinking about the impact of an open payments network where Bitcoin is a piece of it, not even it, with things like the Lightning Network that we'll go into our next episode. So think about the fact that I just sent $50 worth of Bitcoin to myself by sending $50 US dollars. And that created a transaction on the Bitcoin main chain, but it also caused a transaction to happen on the Bitcoin lightning chain. What happened there was the $50 went flying through internet space, came up against the lightning network, went stopped, converted itself into Bitcoin and into lightning, went across the lightning network, and on the other end went and converted itself off the lightning side chain back onto the Bitcoin chain and deposited itself into a Bitcoin account. 
But let's say that Adrian here wanted 50 bucks from me for whatever reason. He said, Jack, you owe me 50 bucks, and I'm going to punch you in the face if you don't send it to me, right? So I said, well, what do you want? He said, fool, I want dollars. I don't want all this Bitcoin stuff. And I was like, okay, are you on any kind of open – do you have a QR code I can scan to send you dollars, right? And it doesn't even have to be strike to strike. He, maybe he has Adrian's Euporium, right, and he wants $50 sent there, and he uses an open payments network, but he wants dollars. So I have dollars on my strike app, and I scan his QR code, and I go, send. Here, don't punch me in the face, Adrian. I don't deserve it, man. And he sees $50 show up. It was still a Bitcoin transaction. The $50 went flying through cyberspace, got it to the Lightning Network, went scourge, switched over to Bitcoin Lightning, went across the Lightning Network at almost no fees. Then at the other end went scourge, turned into dollars and deposited itself into Adrian's Venmo account on an open payment network. That can't happen without Bitcoin. The average credit card transaction is about 3%. If you ran a business, let's say if you do, this is an easy thing. If you don't, get yourself into the mind of an entrepreneur for a second. You ran an online business, you do $100,000 in transactions a month. Not $100,000 in profit, but $100,000 in trade. You sell $100,000 worth of shit. You have a $1.2 million web store. That's tiny in our world. It really is, especially if you're selling physical product. And most of your payments come in PayPal, Stripe, not Strike, uh, some form of credit card, right? You take credit cards. It's the main way people buy shit online. And you pay 3%. Do $100,000. What's your fees? $3,000. Not hard math, right? Now, I come to you and I say, Mr. Store Owner, if you use this open payments network, you will go from paying $3,000 a month in fees to paying 500. What are you going to do? If you know it works, you get the same dollars or same yen or same euro or whatever. And, and I can I can cut your monthly expenses by 2,500 bucks by moving to an open payment network. It's still going to work perfectly with your point of sale. It's completely legal. You never have to touch Bitcoin. You don't even have to know Bitcoin's there. You just receive money and it costs you less to do it. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? You're going to switch. Okay. There has to be Bitcoin locked up inside that Lightning Network to make that system work. Right now, if we were to take 2% of global transactions into that network, 2%, all the Bitcoin that exists is not enough to collateralize against that 2%. Now, as that happens, of course, it forces the price higher and the quantity of Bitcoin the total number of Satoshis that are put in the network for equity, right? That goes down as the value goes up. But once that happens, you know, I've been talking about the ETF for like a year and a half, and people are like, Jack, when's the ETF going to happen? I don't know. But there's never been a time where I think there's been more true uh, grassroots marketing pressure on the government to do a thing than, than this. This is a huge thing. This is going to happen. But it, as big as it is, and make no mistake about it, when every single IRA, 401k, etc., can buy, you know, BTC, IDU, or whatever the hell they call it, you know, spot Bitcoin ETF, it's game over. The all-time highs you'll see from that are unbelievable. 
but it's in the ability to transact frictionless, low to no fee transactions around the world that will make even the companies fighting this right now, the people that see it as the enemy, Visa, MasterCard, Amex, et cetera, they're going to have to use it too. What are you going to do if I'm in business and you're my competitor and I I find a new technology and I'm now able to do my business faster, cheaper, better with more customer satisfaction than you? Are you going to let me just take all your business or are you going to be like, shit, I got to use the same technology that Jack's using, even though I don't like that jerk? You're going to use the same technology. This is why I'm telling you, Bitcoin is asymmetric warfare. It's the first, that's a term that's been thrown around for years. People think they understand it. It's the first ever true asymmetric warfare that's ever existed in the world of finance, especially. Because what happens is when my enemy, if I, if I want to use that term, uses that, acquires that weapon, It's better for me. It's better for me. I gain when my opponent acquires my weapon. So let's say that you and I crawl into a ring, and they hand me two two short samurai swords that are razor sharp. And they're like, go fight that guy. You're like, no, I, I I I don't think I want it. In fact, I think I can kick his ass, but I'm pretty sure he can cut my hands off before I can touch him. So I don't, I, I, I don't want to do that. What's the last thing I want the referee to do? Hold on. Wait a minute. He gets two samurai swords. Give this other guy. Give Bill Smith here two samurai swords. Now we both have samurai swords. Now it's a fair fight. I don't want that. That makes it symmetrical warfare. Okay? It was asymmetric when I was the one with the weapon. But it came, became symmetrical when you acquired the same weapon. And that's conventionally how we've seen it, when somebody is an undue, unfair advantage. But what if, by handing you those those matching swords, I became more powerful? My swords transformed into four whirling swords like that uh, robotic Jedi had in uh, one of the Star Wars movies. And, like, they ran themselves, and I didn't even have to use them or even be a Jedi, and you were screwed now. And every time you acquired more, my shit got more powerful. This is where people are like, well, how come the Bitcoin community is excited about Goldman Sachs uh, or Bear Stearns? Or, no, Bear Stearns is out of business. Thank you, Kramer. Um, you know, whatever. Uh, now, you know, championing Bitcoin. Why would you do that? I thought we were at war with the banks. We are. You don't understand how it works. The more they touch it, the more they use it, the more powerful we become with it. And there's... Not been a time in recent history where things look better than they do right now for Bitcoin. The news that we're getting about Bitcoin, if this had happened during the last all-time high, we would have blown through 100,000, probably through 150. I mean, the the good news has been overwhelming. I want to leave it there because this has turned into something different than I planned at the end. Again, I just hope now that you feel a little bit more comfortable about going out and buying Bitcoin, sending it to your own wallet, eventually securing it with something like a hardware wallet, doing a, oh, I wanted to tell you about the backup phrases. So um, I thought I got a picture of this. I guess I didn't. Anyway, I'll put a link to a video. Again, you have that backup phrase, that list of words. 
I found a guy, John Chow, on YouTube that has a really cool way to make a metallic backup so that it can't fade or burn or whatever of your phrase. And he just uses a stamping set and 8-millimeter washers. And then this little thing here I had my wife bring me. This is a little jig. It's two parts. I printed it with a 3D printer. And has this other little piece here, and this piece has a hole in it. And you stick it in like that, and it has the hole. And then you can put in like 0, 1, 0, 2, 0, 3. And then on the other side, it has little notches. And each time you want to adjust it, you turn it. And there's these little ridges here that are probably hard to see in the video. And then you can stamp 0, 1. And if you're first wording your your phrase was goldfish, 0, 1, goldfish and the little jig makes it look cool i think the jig is over cool overkill but i have a link to the if you have a 3d printer and you want to print your own i have a link to the file on thingiverse where you can print your own and i have a link where you can buy them if you really wanted to buy them i think they're like 13 bucks but you know i printed a couple out it's a 3d print job so easy i can do it you pretty much take the file drag it into your slicer program hit slice throw it up throw it on a card stick it in your printer and hit print and uh, so I'm actually going to be doing that as a little project at the fall workshop when we do that this November for people to learn how to do that. But the cool thing with that is, let's say you have a 24-word backup phrase. Well, you can put 12 words on one bolt, 12 words on another bolt, and store them in two different locations. So, again, that's like multi-sig, and that's 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 pretty pretty cool way. And I wanted to bring that up mainly because when you go to buy a hardware wallet, What's in vogue now is they have these titanium wallets, right? And they send you this thing and you punch out all these little letters and you make a titanium wallet of your backup phrase and shit. And they sell for 50 bucks or more. You can build one of these things, you know, for like $3 worth of parts. And I have a link to all the parts in the show notes today. Anyway, with that, guys, uh, I appreciate you guys tuning in today. I probably should have done this one today. Uh, first one back, my timing's always a little bit off and I make a few errors here and there, but I do hope this has made it a little bit more clear for you. And I hope that you also, some of you will stop being so worked up over KYC, know your customer. Yes. When you set up an account on a legitimate crypto exchange and you use a credit card, a bank account, et cetera, to buy Bitcoin. They are going to have to know your identity and they're going to ask for it and you're going to have to give it to them and it's not a scam. And this is why when you hear me go on and on about get off the exchange, since that's the case, if the government runs a search and says, where, where are all lowrider 94 SS's accounts at? It will probably pop up that he's got some Bitcoin on Coinbase or whatever. And if they need to freeze your assets or they wish to freeze your assets, they're going to send something there and tell them to do it. So the last thing I want to say is what happens if they figure out, because you're in a customer database or something and the IRS hacks it, that you have a account or you bought a Trezor wallet or you have an Exodus wallet. You have both. And they send the same letter to Trezor or Exodus and say, hey. Lock up K-Bonk shit. Lock up 229 shit, uh, shit, mixed shit. Lock up Jack Spirico shit. Those companies can legitimately say, sorry, I have no idea how to do that. I, 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 I can't tell you which of any, I don't have access. So the only way that a company can refuse a demand from the government is for the demand to be impossible to fulfill. 
And again, if uh, the world government evil organization, Dr. Evil people decide we hate Exodus, we want them to go away. So they launch a nuclear strike on Exodus headquarters. Do you have your private keys? Bitcoin doesn't care. You can use a different wallet. Please get control of the custody of your coins. With that, we've wrapped up another one. I will be back tomorrow with something totally on Bitcoin related, unless you're listening to the breakout version of the Bitcoin breakout. This has been another episode of the Bitcoin breakout. To subscribe and learn more, please visit thebitcoinbreakout.com.